Thanks for joining us today for the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast, a place where trauma, hardship, and challenge meet faith and hope for the future. Here is your host, Jill Riley. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. Season three has arrived. I am so excited to share with you this season new guests, new topics, and some great conversations. So tune in every week on Fridays. We will have a new episode. Also this season, we will celebrate our 100th episode. So stay tuned for that. Just happens to fall on my birthday, October 28th. So we will have a big celebration. Thank you so much for joining us. And here's today's guest. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley. Welcome to season three. I'm excited to introduce you today to Doug Lawrence. Doug is the founder of Talent C and co founder of the International Mentor Community. Doug leads organizations to experience the benefits of how mentoring will encourage co- workflow culture to flow in harmony, improve productivity from employees, reduce costly employee onboarding, and, uh, and uh, let's see, I lost my place here. Sorry, Doug. Reducing costs employee onboarding, improving the bottom line. He's an international certified mentor. Doug served in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the RCMP, for 25 years, retiring in February of 1999 at the rank of Staff Sergeant. As a result of his service, Doug had PTSD. Doug is a volunteer mentor with the Sir Richard Branson Entrepreneur Program in the Caribbean and with the American Corporate Partners in the United States, working with the military personnel in their transition from military life to civilian life. Doug is an international speaker and author about all facets of mentoring. He published The Gift of Mentoring in 2014 with his second book, You Are Not Alone, published January 17th, 2022, and reaching Amazon number one bestseller. That is a lot. You have been a busy, busy man. I keep myself entertained, yes. <laughs> yeah. So which book reached number one, the first one or the second one? The second one. You are not alone. Congratulations. Yes, That's a you. big deal. Yeah, it, it uh, surprised me. Well, a pleasant surprise. Yes. So as I was explaining to you before, I'm kind of um, slightly distracted because I have construction going on in my house. So if there's loud banging and thuds that happen in the background, first of all, I apologize. And second of all, it's not Doug falling on the floor. So (laughs) (laughs) just so everybody knows. So Doug, tell us a little bit about where you live. Where are you at? So I'm, uh, I live in Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. So right in the farming, kind of farming community. Regina is the, uh, the capital of the province of Saskatchewan. So and I've been here since 1992. Okay. And Saskatchewan is, um, is a little bit over the Midwest of the United States, correct? Correct. Okay. Very yeah. cool. Have you lived in Canada your whole life? Yes. Yeah, I um, lived on the farm until 1972, and then I left the farm and ended up, uh, what, two years later, I guess it was, I ended up joining the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and from there got bounced all over Canada um, with, with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and then finally got transferred back here in uh, 92. 
1992. Yeah. And uh, we've, I've been here ever since. Okay. Interesting. What did your family grow on the farm? We, we had a mixture of, it was a grain farm, but we also had, uh, we had uh, beef. So we had cattle farm as well. All right. All right. And so what inspired you to join the RCMP? <laughs> so we, uh, the RCMP of the, of that time frame, they, um, they used to stop in at our farm when they were on their rural patrols of the province and they'd come sometimes they'd stay for a meal. And I just got, I was caught up in the whole sort of enamored by their physical presence and all of that. And one of them actually said, do you have a place we can go and fire a few rounds of uh, ammunition? And I'm, I just lit right up because I can still remember. <laughs> I said, oh, I know where we can go. And so I took them to a place that I used to go and do target practice on our farm. And it was that was sort of the start of it. It was just listening to them talk and tell, you know, their stories and things like that. I went, I need to be one of those. That's really cool. So you never had an inclination to stay as a farmer, huh? Uh, no. No. <laughs> No, you- I, I, I had enough experience with the family farm that I made a decision that didn't matter because they actually, my, my father and, and my uncle, both, they offered me the farm. It's yours to take if you so wish. And I went, uh, nope. Nope. Not going to do nope. it. Family farms are hard business. My husband comes from a family farming community and, and uh, it's hard business to see if they're going to pass on down or if they're going to get taken over or, you know, as the generations pass, there's less, it feels like maybe this is just perception. It feels like there's less people that are uh, less kids that are inclined to um, take up the farm. Well, and, and, you know, I had, I had some not so pleasant experiences growing up on the farm with both my father and my uncle, his brother, uh, both being alcoholics. And mm. so it placed a lot of additional stress on, on me and, and I actually on the rest of us, because we had, we ended up having to uh, have hired help come in and, and help myself and one of my other uncles even get the crop off the field. So mm. I ended up, I stayed was uh, I graduated high school in 70, 1972. And I, I made a commitment that I would stay until the crop was in the bins and then I was going to be looking elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So how did um, growing up around alcoholism affect your view of alcohol uh, going forward? It was, it was, it, that, that's a really interesting question because the, the, it was almost like the, it was a way of life with that particular era. Cause all I, all the memories I have were my dad and his, his brother, you know, they were drinking all the time. They had parties and barbecues and all sorts of thing on the farm all the time. And there was copious quantities of alcohol and stuff like that. And I, I thought that was the acceptable norm. So I started to, you know, see myself follow in, in those footsteps. And it wasn't until, gosh, quite a while after when I ended up, I got into the RCMP and that even 
even then there was still, you know, periods of time where I was indulging probably a lot more than what I should be. But what I found, what I know now that I didn't know then was that was my mask for the post-traumatic stress was Mm. it, it was my crutch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you spent your career as RCMP and then retired after how many years? 25. 25. Is that kind of the mandatory retirement or was that just your choice? It was, it was my choice. I, I, I felt that I wanted to still at 25 years service that would, would have put me at about 50 years of age, 45, 50 years of age. And I felt I still had, as I always say, I, I had more gas in the tank or, you know, mm-hmm. I had, I had more energy to do other things. And so I wanted to retire at an age that I felt I was still marketable and that I could actually go out and get another job and it would be something that would be challenging, but also rewarding. Right, right. So um, what was the maybe the best moment or the most rewarding part of your career with the RCMP? I would have to say the most rewarding was it was at the t- sort of the tail end of my career where I took a step back and, and I took a, and, and I sort of looked at the successes that we had had and a large part of what I felt I had accomplished what I set out to do, which was to empower those that were working with me to be able to continue on after mm. I, after I left. And there was like some absolute rock stars that, that, you know, that grew from my mentoring. And, and it, that's an interesting path to talk about because I didn't know that that's what it was, was mentoring. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was just something that good leaders did was to, you know, guide their people and, and not always tell them how to f- fix a problem, but guide them to how to, how to fix the problem. And it was seeing those people kind of blossom, nurture, grow into being meaningful contributors to the organization. That to me was sort of the, that was my big payoff. Yeah. 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 So I want to come back to the mentoring, but I want to ask you a little bit. You told me some stories about working in a small, isolated community in Saskatchewan and being the only the only RCMP for how many miles around? Well, we that actually that particular part of it is um, not so much uh, Saskatchewan, but actually the Northwest Territories, but up in oh, okay. uh, up in the Arctic and. Um, yeah, we, uh, I was stationed in a small community back then it was called Hall beach and it was a community of about 500 people. Um, and it was, you could, I still can remember the picture that we had. It was like somebody picked up a bunch of buildings and dropped them on the shore of the Arctic ocean and said, here's your home. And, and that's what we had. And you're absolutely correct. I was by myself and I had nobody, my closest backup was by aircraft and it was uh, 30 minutes away in a a neighboring community. And that would have got me access to two people more. So if I had a major significant disaster, I was looking at probably an hour by air for anyone to get there. Did you have any major significant um, disasters during that time? 
nothing that I wasn't able to work through. And mm-hmm. the part, the part that was really was good for me was that I learned how to be a better communicator because a lot of the people didn't speak English. They spoke an up to two. So I had to learn mm. how to communicate and, and even like my children, my daughter, uh, she went to school, she took her kindergarten and grade one there. And she had to learn number one, she had to learn sign language because she was paired up with a, a young, uh, an up to two girl that, um, couldn't speak. And so she signed. And so my, my, uh, my daughter learned how to sign, but she also learned some of the, the words and stuff to, to be able to communicate. Wow. Does um, it, it never ceases to amaze me children's ability to absorb language and culture in ways that, I mean, they just, they just are little sponges in ways that as we get older, we're not quite that way anymore. Right. I, I, there's, I, I could never do what she did. I just, it, well, I shouldn't say never, but it would just, it would take me a long time to do that. Yeah. So are there, um, are there points in your career that you can point to that say, this is what contributed to my PTSD, or is it kind of an overarching theme just because of some of the things that you, um, that you see in that job? It, it it would be overarching. I don't like. I mean, there are certainly there are some that were more uh, traumatic than others, mm-hmm. but it it was the the whole thing that it boiled down to at the end of the day was that there was no support structure. So even tiny little things that would maybe not normally set you off because you had no support structure other than my my family. Um, they, they would just, they set you off and you had no way of coping or dealing with it other than going to the, to the uh, cabinet and opening it up and hauling out a bottle of whiskey and throwing the cap away and saying, I'm going to make this problem go away only to realize right. made it worse. Well, you know, um, given the years that you were working with the RCMP, we have to like kind of put that in perspective of history. You know, it's only been since the 1950s that we've really talked about PTSD so much. And we talked about shell shock and we didn't we didn't really come into understanding of anxiety and depression and PTSD until later in the 70s. And by the 80s was the first time that the DSM came out that said, this is how we're going to code these these diseases and these illnesses. So we're really kind of in the infancy of this thing, aren't we? Yeah, we are. And, and we're still we're still reluctant to talk about it. Yes. You know, we're still and you're absolutely right. Things have evolved. Like I think back to when my grandfather um, took his own life because of mental health challenges, my he took his own life. He couldn't be buried in the community cemetery. He had to be buried oh. in, a, in another one. And so, you know, it, it, you go like, why is that? And, and it was just, that was the, the belief system that was in place in that time frame. And, you know, I have no was, idea. I've never heard that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. 
So, um, so you became a mentor. Um, and where did, I mean, obviously you said with the RCMP, that bug kind of caught you, but where did you make the connective tissue between this is what I've been doing with my, with my, um, fellow, fellow RCMP. And this is really a career thing. It was actually, I was, it was after I left the force and it was, um, I was, job coaching university students, college students, helping them, you know, resume, cover letter, interview prep, and so on and so forth. And then what started to happen was some of them would come to me and say, gee, Doug, this happened in the workplace today, and I didn't know how to deal with it. How should I deal with it? And I'd say, I would just say, well, come sit down, let's have a conversation. And I just asked questions to help guide them through how they could have dealt with it. And they went, Oh, you're good at this. You need to do this for a living. Interesting. And, and that's where it started was I, then I did my research and I went, you know, there is a place for this. There's a place for, for certification. There's a place for an independent body to provide that certification. And it's going to be for the benefit of everyone. And so, uh, you have several certifications, multiple certifications as a mentor and as a coach. Where do you walk that out in your life? Do you, um, I know we said you worked some with, with military and some maybe with um, law enforcement. Yeah. You, you mean as far as who do I apply that learning? Yeah. To? Uh-huh. yeah so so it, it's, it's definitely not industry specific. So like I've done, I've worked with people that are, in the healthcare sector, I've worked with law enforcement. I've worked with people who are entrepreneurs that are starting their their business. That's the Sir Richard Branson program, where you know, it, in that case, it was uh, two young men with a restaurant, and now I'm working with somebody who has their own coaching business and is struggling, and so we're working through how we're going to turn that around and and stuff like that. So. It, it covers off a wide array of things. And I guess the, the shift that I've been making is now to start to look at mental health and mental well-being as part of what can be done through the mentoring process. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, there's so much. I mean, you could take a deep dive into that. And, and uh, there's, there's just no end to the depth of those conversations, is there? No, it, it, we're only skimming the surface. Yeah. So in your family, not only have you dealt with the the trauma of the job, but you've also lost both your your wife and your mom to cancer. Yeah, that's right. I have. Yeah. So I lost my my mom in 2007 and I lost my wife in uh, 2021. Mm. And uh, so it's been relatively recent and it, it's given me now yet another appreciation of mental health and how grief can play a huge part in your mental health and mental yes. well-being. And so, um, but what it, you know, it, what it also did was for me, it, when it came to my mom and her passing in 2007, it, kind of opened the doors for for me to start to pay more attention, listen and hear and explore my faith a lot more than what I had in the past. 
Yeah. And so what did that exploration um, look like? Tell me a little bit more about that. So, so that was, that was a, that was an experience that I went through where um, I, I had, I had a vision. I don't know the proper way, but I, I was visited by spirits who, who told me they had come to get my, take my mom. And I had indicated that they couldn't take her because I wanted her to see her granddaughter get married. Mm. It would have, it would have been the first one. And so, you know, we kind of went back and forth in, in the conversations. And I said, I, I don't care what, who you decide you need to take, but you can't take my mom because mm-hmm. she needs to see her granddaughter. And she, she did get to, that would have been, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I know that um, a number of months later, probably about six months later, she actually, she passed. She did get to see her granddaughter get married. Yeah. What a blessing. Well, when you, um, when you pray and when you ask for hope and resiliency and all of those things, what, what messages do you get back? I get, I I get a number of different things. I'm always concerned about my mom and I'm always concerned about Deborah, my wife. And Mm -hmm. so I'm always looking for, you know, are they okay? You know, have they, you know, have they crossed over? I've even gone the extra step to, to try and get those questions answered Mm -hmm. um, because that's important to me that they're okay where they are, that they have, they're not caught in between the two. So, um, so that's important to me for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I find that what, what's taken place for me now is like when I pray, I, I ask, obviously I'm asking for protection because I went through a whole thing shortly after Deborah passed where I had all kinds of visitations and stuff. And I was, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so a large part of what I'm trying to do now is, you know, if, if, if there are things that you need me to do as part of my calling, and please share those messages with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I also, I ask for, I, I ask for protection. I also pass on, um, I ask for them to provide, you know, love, light and healing to a number of people. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's very, it's people that are experiencing, say they're going through cancer and mm-hmm. somebody will say, can you, can you say, can you add to your prayers, this person and their family, because they're going through some difficult, tough times. And so I do that. And, and, you know, sometimes you hear back to say, whatever you did or said has worked, or, you know, we've bought some time or whatever. Um, So that all is part of that, you know, sort of asking and, and receiving that I go through. Has the um, kind of additional awareness of faith, has that added a dimension to your mentoring? Yeah, huge. Yeah, it's, it definitely has. It, it's given me a, a, a deeper appreciation of the mentoring relationships 
Mm. And because that that's one thing that I, with COVID and all this that was missing from, from my life was the aspect of relationships and, and all of that. So yeah, it, it, it's definitely made a difference. Yeah. Interesting. So what do you think is the most difficult thing about grieving? Well, I can honestly tell you that I hate weekends. Um, mm-hmm. I hate weekends with a passion because I'm usually by myself. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so, and I know I'm part of a, there's four of us that have a bereavement peer to peer group. And we all say the same, much the same thing as we all hate weekends. And what I'm finding is that in order to fill that weekend, we're texting back and forth to each other to, you know, sort of see how are you doing, what's going on. You know, we make jokes and, you know, we do all sorts of things to kind of lighten, yeah. the, lighten the mood, but, but it's, it's helping fill that void. So the, you know, the loneliness that you, you end up experiencing because, gee, you know, weekends were when we'd hop in the vehicle and go run errands or maybe go see the grandkids. We do all sorts of activities together. And now I'm, you know, I'm having to fill that void on my own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a common theme that I hear from a lot of people is just that sense of the season has changed. And what do I do with it? What do I, what gifts are in it and what challenges are in it? And that makes a a real challenging experience to figure that out. So you mentioned your bereavement group. Are there other groups that provide you support uh, through grief and through your work and get a stage of life? Yeah, I basically, I belong to two support groups. One is the bereavement one that we've been talking about. The other is one that is uh, operational stress injury, uh, peer-to-peer support. So that's mental health, mental well-being. And so we, uh, we get together Mondays for an hour and we just, it's a check-in just check in to make sure, you know, each one of us that's in that group that we're okay. Mm -hmm. And do we need, you know, do we need to talk about different sorts of things? You know, so, cause I, like I had, for example, I had last week was a tough week because I had some friends who were going through cancer in the family and it was a huge trigger for, for me, for what I went through with Deborah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, you know, uh, pray peace um, to your wife and to your mom's memories. And um, I know that uh, they would be proud of how you're living forward and, and, and giving of yourself to the lives of others. Um, that, that really is um, the greatest thing that we can bequeath to anybody else, right, is the gift of whatever we've learned in our lives and to carry it forward. So, um, tell me a little bit about working with, uh, military. So I've, well, I, and I, I get a bit of, bit of it, uh, in, in sort of both areas, but the one where I'm probably the most active is that it's through American corporate partners in the United States. And what we do is they assign mentors to service people that are transitioning from service life to mil- or from yeah from service life to civilian life 
And so um, I have had, what have I had? One, I think five service people that I've worked with since Excellent. I started with them. So, and the, the one that I'm working with right now, we are, um, we're in the still an active service person still involved in, in, in their job in the military. And what we're trying to do now is, is to let's deal with the mental health mm-hmm. issues. If there are any, before you leave the, the service, let's deal with, you know, your health issues, any health things that before you leave the service so that we have kind of a clean slate, so to speak, to be yeah, able to a good foundation. Yeah. 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 So I'm wondering in your mentoring, and this isn't a question I'm going to catch you off guard here. Uh, this isn't a question I haven't written, haven't written down, but is there one theme that kind of comes up frequently with mentoring, something that people most need to hear is moving their lives forward from one step to the next? You know, the, the, the biggest thing that I find is, and it's a combination of things, but it's self-confidence, self-esteem, self-worth, and self-doubt. And so a lot of people that I, that I work with have bits and pieces of that. And it becomes even more prevalent and more noticeable, I guess, in, in when you're dealing with somebody that, that is struggling with mental health challenges or issues, they have no self-confidence, they have no self-esteem. That, and so it's a matter of working through that and working on, with, on the mental health aspect at the same time. Absolutely. Interesting. Well, thank you for your service. And um, I just really appreciate the work that you're doing. I have two kids in the military and um, it is it is a different world and it's a different life, isn't it? It sure is. Yeah, it, yeah. it definitely it definitely is. Yes. So tell us how we can find out more about your mentoring. How can we find your books? Um, where do we where do we find stuff about Doug? Well, we can obviously go to LinkedIn and just do a search on Doug Lawrence and my, and pull up my profile. And there's some, you know, there's a bit more information about me and who I am and all that that's there. You can always uh, go to my website, which is www.talentc, so the word talent with the letter C on the end, .ca. And I welcome people if they have questions, you know, especially after today. You can get a hold of me by email, and it's doug.lawrence at talent C. So the word talent with the letter C on the end, dot CA. And I'll, I'll do my utmost to get back to you as quickly as I can. Great, great. Well, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. And I just thank you for all the investments that you're making and um, just pouring your life into other people and, and helping to better their lives. So thank you so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find Jill at JillRiley.com, on Facebook at JillRiley.author, 